0: god's word and lord i ask that as it's opened up that you would open up our hearts to receive what you have for us and lord i pray that by the end of even this brief hour that we would know you more and desire to know you far more i pray it in christ's name amen so let's look at three things let's look at the person and we see that is to know christ more let's look at the power the power of his resurrection, and let's look also at the persecution or the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, again, let's notice that this is a personal relationship with Christ. Paul says that I may know him more. This is what he's after. In other words, just because I'm experiencing Christ more does not mean that you are. This is a choice you must make. So let's dive into what does it look like to know christ more this person of christ jesus see for many years and i i i want to suggest to you that this still can be a problem in my life but for many years i prayed this prayer of paul in fact if i ask you to raise your hand how many of you have ever prayed the prayer in, in verse 10 that i might know him more a lot of you right all right i prayed that prayer for many years I said, Lord, I want to know you more. 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 And I didn't really see much of a difference in relation to that. Not not a drastic thing. And it was as though one day the Lord just kind of asked me during my time in the Word. He said, Nathan, you know, you keep saying you want to know me more. But do you really want to know me more or do you just want to know more about me? I said, "I, I think I want to know you. He said, okay, but you've got to understand something. If you want to know me more, for instance, if you want to know me as your comforter, guess what? You've got to have something for me to comfort. If you want to know me as your sustainer, you're going to have to have a prolonged period of difficulty for me to sustain you through. Nathan, if you want to know me, As your provider, you're going to have to be in need. Nathan, if you want to know me as your healer, I'm going to bless you with some form of disease. Nathan, if you want to know me as your salvation, you have to recognize you're lost. How about this one? Nathan, if you want to know me as your resurrection, going to have to die and i realized that for a long time i wanted to know more about jesus but i didn't want to experience him see what what i failed to realize is the circumstances of my life were actually providing the answer to my prayers but i actually realized that in many of our prayer meetings of the church we pray away the very thing we're praying for Our prayer meetings have become a plea for God to remove every circumstance that molds us into the image of Jesus Christ. Our prayer meetings have become a, a request to know him less, not because that's really what we desire, but because we're confused about what the journey looks like. I want to encourage you all that God has placed in your life right now circumstances that you would have never chosen, but circumstances which are intended to make you look like Jesus and to allow you to know Jesus Christ intimately. I hope that you're going to get excited about the very things that previously you were wishing away. And that's all going to come out a lot more clearly. So this person of Jesus Christ is really what we want this is what we want to see much more so uh moving on here though i want to take this passage in a bit of a different way as we look at the person as we look at the power it's going to come out but it's going to come out all through the final point okay so i'm going to bring it all and we're going to focus in on one thing it talks about sharing in the fellowship of his suffering so what i would like to do during this time together and this has been on my heart for a while. In fact, if you, if you ever read this book, What If Jesus Meant What He Said, I have a chapter on this very topic and it's called The Ten Blessings of Suffering and Persecution. I want us to dive into ten blessings of knowing Christ through the fellowship of His suffering. I want us to see what God is actually offering to us so that as we acknowledge, oh yes, I see it in my life, We respond in such a way that we might know him more. So the first thing, and the first thing is something I already mentioned, but I want to go a little bit more into it. The first aspect, the first blessing of this uh, persecution or fellowship of his suffering is that our relationship with Christ is deepened. Our relationship with Christ is deepened. Now, why do I mean that? Because if there's a fellowship, if I've got fellowship with you, what does that indicate? It indicates that you and me were together. Now, what did Jesus Christ say to his disciples, but also a promise to us when he sent them out in Matthew 28 after his resurrection? He told them, go into all the world, we know, make disciples, baptize, teach, And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, when we take this journey of of allowing these sufferings, these present trials to be a blessing in our life, we recognize that this is an opportunity to walk with him, recognizing we need his strength. See, Christ does not promise us deliverance from difficult times. He promises us his presence. Remember the three guys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter three, when they're thrown into the the furnace, the fiery furnace, it's a very interesting passage because it specifically says that only one thing was burned in the furnace. One thing, the only thing that was consumed in the furnace were the ropes that held them. It says that they were bound and then it says they were unbound in the furnace. What do we know about that? The very trials that came freed them. But there's something else. Where in all the story of Daniel 3, where did those three men experience intimacy with the presence of God? It was not when they stood and refused to bow. It was not when they stood before Nebuchadnezzar. It was when they were in the fire that we see the presence of God with them you see in the fellowship of his sufferings the first blessing is our relationship with him is deepened i remember back in niger in 2015 in one day they basically burned every church building in the entire country they missed a few but most church buildings they came to burn down some houses they came to burn down my house as well some of my Muslim neighbors and one Christian guy kind of blocked the door and said, oh, come back later. He's not here. Um, they wanted to crucify one of my friends on my street. Not a street over, on my street. Um, it was a crazy day. Well, three days later, I was walking around the block to go to a prayer meeting. And I walked through an area that had been burned out. One of my uh, a friends' home that had been burned out. And they had a house church there. And they had taken all the Bibles and... All the songbooks, and they had, they had ripped them up and lit them on fire in the streets. And, and so the entire road was just covered in burned out Bibles and, and pamphlets and songbooks. And as I walked through the debris of pages, I remember just thinking, Lord, what, what is this all about? Not why, but what? And as I walked through it, I just had an idea. Nothing profound, I just thought, hey, I'm just going to reach down and pick up one page of scripture. Thousands of pages were there. But I reached down, I just picked up one page. As I picked up that one page, it was in French, I looked down at that page that was half burned and I saw the passage up in the corner that I had picked up. And it was Isaiah 43. And I immediately knew what was on that page. It's where the Lord reminds him, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 5, I will be with you. What did the Lord promise us? It was such a blessing because it was like him just telling me from his word, Nathan, we're not going to spare you the fire, but we promise that in the fire, I'm with you. What a a precious truth. What a beautiful reality that it's knowing Christ is deepened as we get to experience the fellowship of his sufferings. And so the first blessing of all of this I see is right there. But there's another, there's many more. Let's keep going. We also see that it's a reminder of who we are. A reminder of who we are. You know, in life, I get a lot of people trying to tell me who I am. And I'll, I'll give you an example. At airports, when I'm traveling, in certain countries of the world, I have a lot of immigration officials or, uh, or security folks that try to tell me who I am. I've gone into the nation of Israel before and they've claimed I'm a terrorist. And so then they like put me in this room and I have to be interrogated for hours and hours and hours. Until they finally realized that indeed I'm very safe and I don't know how to even use a weapon. And so eventually they released me and let me go on my way. When I was 17 years old in Peru, they—oh, not Peru, Bolivia, they took me aside um, and they claimed I was a drug dealer. And so they pulled all my bags from the plane and they searched for my drugs and I had two kilos of tea and they claimed that was drugs and and they just messed with me for a while until finally some other Paraguayan saw what was happening and they're like, let this guy go. We drink that tea every day and, you know, whatever. So I've had other other crazy stories of, of just like people trying to identify me as whatever they want to do. But let me tell you something about the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. See, when we are privileged to go through suffering with Christ, and I'll talk a little bit more about suffering here in a little bit, what that means, we actually have the privilege of being reminded of our true identity. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and you can flip over to it if you want, 2 Timothy chapter 3, one verse that's, that drives us home, it says in verse 12, Indeed, I like when a verse starts out with indeed. It's like, don't miss this. Indeed, all, and all means everyone, right? So no one's excluded. You're not, you're not an exception. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You see... This is another promise. So when I'm suffering persecution, I should be very excited. I should be excited that I'm being reminded who I belong to and whose I am. This is not a negative thing. And let me go a step further with this. And that is, when we're not suffering persecution, we should be far more concerned. Now, We could talk more about the persecution because I I, want to suggest to you that it comes in many ways that we don't even acknowledge. For instance, my uh, uncle has worked in Myanmar for many years, and one time he was speaking to a group of about 300 Burmese uh, believers, and many of them had spent time in prison for their faith. And he just asked the question during a message, how many of you have uh, suffered for the name of Christ? And nobody raised their hand. And he was confused. And he's like, come on. Uh, like, you've been in prison, right? And haven't you been in prison before for Christ? And weren't you in there for a couple of years? And, and they said, oh, are you talking about going to prison for Jesus? Well, that's probably most of us. Um, who hasn't been to prison? Like, that was like a given. A lot of times we don't even, we won't even see it as suffering. And you know why? Because it's such a privilege. When we actually get to share in what Christ is doing in this world, when we actually get to participate in that rejection that others might see his beauty, it rarely will be even seen as that. So I'm not, I'm not saying this to discourage you, but I uh, like saying, hey, if you're not suffering, you're not godly. But I am saying that this is going to be a repercussion. Remember what Jesus Christ said when he called us to follow him in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. He said, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, here, and if you're reading from Luke chapter 9, 23, you would have the word daily in there. Exactly right. Matthew does not put that there, though. Now, With that said, if you're taking up your cross, you're not going on vacation. If you're taking up your cross, you're on your way to die. Christ Jesus never masks it, does he? He's never ambiguous. He doesn't act like you can follow him and not participate in the fellowship of his suffering it goes together christ jesus was rejected by this world and what does he say in john chapter 15 when you get to verses 18 to 20 if they hated me they will hate you if they persecuted me they will persecute you A servant's not greater than his master. I only share these things with you to say, this is not one random reference, this is not one random passage, this is a theme in the teachings of Jesus Christ. So please, let's make sure we see this as the normal. So the second thing is, it reminds us who we are. Now, have you noticed throughout Philippians, how Paul constantly refers to the body of Christ Look at this, like you can just follow along here. In one twelve, he says, I want you to know brothers. Um, Look at verse 14, and most of the brothers, having been, and that's brethren, it's not just like men, it's men and women. Um, How about in chapter 3, verse 1, finally, my brothers, uh, we have it again in verse uh, 13 in chapter 3, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Verse 17, it says it again. Uh, how about chapter 4, verse 1? Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, and then he calls them my beloved. Now, why is that so important? I'll tell you why I think it is. When I'm reminded whose I am, when I'm reminded that I belong to Christ, you know what else I'm reminded of? What Paul's reminded of. I'm reminded of my family. I, I do love how since uh, Priyanka and I got married, I'm reminded oftentimes who I'm related to. Uh, I, almost everywhere I go where there's Malayali believers, I have a relative. And it's, it's beautiful to see how they know their family line and how they understand how we're related. But it's amazing to me. How the body of Christ forgets. It's so much easier to see my bloodline through Jesus Christ and to realize that I'm your brother, that we belong together for eternity. And when I know I belong to Jesus Christ, when I'm reminded of who I am and whose I am, even in the fellowship of his sufferings, I also remember who else is part of this fellowship. You see, I'll tell you something else I learned since marriage. I've only been married eight and a half months and after eight and a half months, I can guarantee you that my wife knows my flaws better than anyone. And she could probably give you a whole list. She could. Vice versa, I could tell you lots of flaws about my wife. I'm not going to and I would never do that, but I'll tell you, what really hurts me is if somebody came up to me and just started talking about the flaws of my wife. She's a beautiful person, and she loves the Lord Jesus, an amazing character. But it would really hurt if all you saw was that. You see, we're the bride of Jesus Christ. And I find it really sad when, as the bride of Jesus Christ, so often we spend more time gossiping and slandering and Being negative about a beautiful bride that Christ Jesus claimed with his blood. Paul reminds us not just who we belong to, but with whom we walk, with whom this fellowship is shared. My beloved, my brethren, my crown, my joy. Let's never forget our first family. Our first association on earth, that we are part of the church of Jesus Christ. This is the bride of Christ. And let's enjoy belonging to one another. So we're reminded whose we are. The third thing, the third blessing of this whole journey, is the reformation of our character. The reformation of our character. And this is what suffering does. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. Now when we look at the reformation of our character. I'm going to go ahead and read here as you're going there. I'll just uh, read verses 3 through uh, 5. Let's go through too. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that. But we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, that's good. That's already really good, right? I'm rejoicing in my sufferings. It doesn't say I'm rejoicing because of my sufferings. I'm rejoicing in my sufferings. Okay? Let's keep going. Knowing, this is why I'm rejoicing. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. So now we see this reformation that we see what it's bringing out in our life and this is exactly what it's intended to do that as we share in the fellowship of his sufferings as we're rejoicing we rejoice knowing that what he's doing is he's allowing these things in our life that don't look like jesus to ultimately be burned off there's a picture that that i i got as a kid and it's stuck in my mind it's a story of a man who was, um, what do we call it? a sculptor. So he had a block of wood. And he was sculpting uh, the image of a lion out of this block of wood. And so what he did was he needed to chip away, uh, you know, the, the piece of the wood, right? And eventually you have a lion. So a little boy comes by. And this little boy sees this older man making a lion. And he watches him and he watches him. And finally he says, he says, I don't get it. How do you make a lion out of a block of wood? And the older man put down his tools and he said, it's actually not that complicated. All I have to do is chip away every piece of wood that doesn't look like a lion. And I'm left with a lion inside. Now, obviously, that doesn't work for those of us who aren't artists. But that means that that artist saw the lion. He saw this lion inside a block of wood and every little piece of wood that didn't fit that lion he saw needed to go. What is God doing in us? We'll talk about it more tomorrow morning, but he's making us look like Christ. It's a job that he's going to finish. and We see that in Philippians chapter one, verse six, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the third thing we want to see is, as we go through these difficult times, what's he revealing to us? Why are we suffering? We're suffering because something in our life that we want to preserve is dying. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe he's allowing your pride to suffer because people are talking negatively about you, or they're accusing you, and you're looking bad. Sure, you're not guilty, but you still look bad. It hurts. Maybe it's physical suffering. Maybe actually your body is suffering. I don't know what it is, but what I do know is through those times of fire, the Lord is forming us more and more into his image. What a a blessed truth. In fact, I want to challenge you all with something. Instead of trying to run from these difficult times, get excited about them. In other words, when you start to see conviction happening in your life like maybe right now during these meetings while you're here and god's like pricking you saying that was for you get excited don't feel like oh man i'm such a terrible person no come on we're absolutely we're broken sinners desperately in need of jesus christ we get that but get excited that god's talking to you that through his word he's communicating saying "That that doesn't look like me that doesn't look like me that doesn't look like me When he says it, he's not mad. He's he's saying, I want to change you. I want to make you look like my son. And get excited because he's going to finish what he starts. So we see this reformation of our character that's taking place. Let's go on to number four. So we have the relationship with Christ is deepened. We're reminded who we are. We have a reformation of our character. But then look at this. It also reveals our savior. It reveals our savior. Okay. What do I mean by revealing our savior? Go to second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four. This one is really exciting. All right. As you're going to second Corinthians four, I want to just, I don't want you to answer out loud because I want everybody to have an opportunity to answer the question in their own mind. But if I asked you, if I said, okay, you need to be more transparent. What do we tend to think? Normally, the way that we would say it in the so-called church, which I don't agree with this, but if I'm going to be more transparent, it means you're going to see more things in my life. I'm going to reveal more about me. I'll be transparent with you. That's not what transparency means. If glass is transparent, do I see into the glass no, I see through the glass. I want us to see that when we are transparent as believers, people don't see into us our brokenness, they see through our brokenness, and they see Christ in us, the hope of glory. People don't need to just see all my faults, but my faults are going to break me down to a point where they see my Savior. Have you ever met those believers who it's almost, uh, and by the way, I, I'm not, I, I'm not targeting any like a uh, denomination kind or of, like, but it's almost like this, this kind of where like, if I don't confess my last sin enough times, like I'm not saved, you know, like this whole mentality of like constant confession, confession, like a, which is not biblical, but I'm just saying like, and you, just, you get around believers that all they're doing is just like telling about like what they've done, what they've done, what they've done, what they've done. It's like exhausting. No, repentance isn't about talking constantly about what you've done. It's about turning to the Lord and in that brokenness of recognizing who you are, he will be revealed. Watch what happens in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 12, and we see this come out very clearly. Give me a second, I'll join you there. Verse uh, verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Do you see verse 11? So the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Okay, how was uh, our body described? As a jar, as, as this like clay pot. And we have this treasure in it. And what's that treasure? The treasure is the gospel. The treasure is the person of Jesus Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory, this Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who guides us into all truth as revealed in John 14 through 16. Now, think back to Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon, the the warrior, the, the scared warrior, and when he goes into battle, God gives him the battle plan. Now, God's battle plan does not sound too phenomenal from any earthly perspective. He's not going in there with uh, weapons of man. He's going in there with a trumpet. He's going in there with a clay pot. And there's a light inside the clay pot. Now, that light goes to the boundary of the Midianite camp. But after they blow the trumpet, what's the next thing they have to do? They break the pots. And the light inside the pots is seen. And as the light is seen, victory is gained and the Midianites go into chaos and then they chase them down and they win the battle. Be reminded, when was the light seen and the victory won? When the pot was broken. What does Jesus Christ say to us in Matthew chapter 5 verse uh, 14 through 16? He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Men don't light a lamp and place it under a basket, but on a lampstand, that it might give light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We have the light of Christ. We are the light of the world because Christ is the light of the world and he lives in us. But when is he seen? He's seen as we are broken. And that's exactly what this passage tells us. That yes, we're we're perplexed. We're we're being uh, crushed, but we're not destroyed. We're persecuted. We're not abandoned. Understand that as we get squeezed by the world's pressures, what they get is Christ in us. They get something different. And that's exactly what the world needs. All right, let's take this to a different level. I just want you to see all the Word of God. they, this is not like what, what I'm sharing with you all is not a. This not a, a, a side theological principle that's just being harped on. This is the theme of life in Christ. What does Peter tell us in First Peter chapter three verse fifteen? There's a verse that's oftentimes used. It's the it's the verse that tells us that we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. With gentleness. Now hang on. If I'm giving. uh, Let me phrase it like this. Right now at this very moment. I can't answer you. You know why I can't answer. Her. She didn't ask me a question. I can talk to you. I might happen to give you answers to your questions. But I can't answer you. Because an answer demands the fact that a question was first asked. Always be ready to give an answer concerning the hope. Oh, pause. When does hope show? I'll tell you when hope doesn't show. Hope doesn't show when things are going well in my life. Nobody says, oh, Nathan, wow. You know, you just got a a massive raise at your job. You're so full of hope. Like, tell me, how are you so full of hope right now? Or on your wedding day, it's like, Man, why are you so happy? Nobody asks you why you're happy on your wedding day. Nobody asks you why you're happy when you get a good job or get a raise. Nobody asks you why you're happy when you have a child. Nobody, why? It's obvious. The world doesn't want to hear that story. But when you're given the gift of cancer, they'll listen. When you're given the gift of a loss of a loved one, they'll listen. When you're given the gift of unemployment, they'll listen. When you're given the gift of being slandered, they'll listen. And when you respond as a broken person that knows where their hope dwells, they say, hang on. I haven't seen that kind of hope. Can you tell me about it? And I can give an answer to the hope that is in me because really none of those things affect my pursuit of knowing him see we're actually blessed in so many ways that we fail to realize in fact let me just take the words of Jesus Christ just to make sure it's all being reinforced here actually let's pause I'll come back to that it'll jump out a bit later let's use our time wisely keep going number five number five this one's so good Number five, it reinforces our strength. It reinforces our strength. This is number five, the fifth blessing of the fellowship of his sufferings. What do I mean by this? Think of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 7 through 10. Now, you know that passage, and for the sake of time, we won't go there. But this is when Paul has a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn is. And get this, Paul. Paul tells us so many of his struggles So many of his suffering. Just read the end of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Okay, so Paul's not a guy to hide what he's going through. When Paul says there's a thorn and he doesn't tell us what the thorn is, let's not spend a bunch of time speculating. Clearly, the word of God could have told us what the thorn is. All right? People make guesses, read 10 commentaries, you'll get four opinions. Okay? So the point being is we're not going to waste time. I think he doesn't tell us the thorn because you can put your thorn in there. All right, now just whatever. He asked 3 times. You know what God says the first time, nope. Second time, no, Paul. Third time, Paul. No. All right. So, then what does Paul what does Paul say? This is fascinating. He says a thorn was given to me. First of all, if something's given, that doesn't seem so bad. But then it says that there's a messenger of Satan involved. That's confusing. And what's the purpose of this thorn? This is wild that i might not become conceited okay hang on this is crazy if a thorn is given for the purpose of me not becoming conceited since when does the devil not want me to be conceited oh the devil wants me to be very much so he would love for me to be focused on me okay but why is there a messenger of satan involved this is confusing I want to suggest to you that when God is working in your life, there'll almost always be a messenger of Satan that's going to come along to you. Because with every trial, every tribulation, every suffering, every persecution, you have an option. And that option is to become stronger in the Lord and to know him more intimately or... To succumb to the temptation involved. Remember, the word temptation and testing is translated, it's the same words, just translate one way or the other, depending on who it comes from. If it's from God, it's to test you, to prove you. If it's from the enemy, it's a temptation that you might fall. Okay, so think about this. What does it say as you go down the passage, verses 9 and 10? He says, For my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness, you know what that word strength is? Power. The word power in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Does that sound familiar? What did Paul just pray? That I might know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. This is the same word power. Uh, like dynamis. Now that's that's exciting. In other words, the power of his resurrection... We have that word power is perfected in weakness. Well, what's the greatest form of weakness? Death. And is not death going to be the moment when you and I experience the greatest power? The power of his resurrection? See, as believers, what do we have to fear? This is all so great. But in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Why would we not want that? Don't we want to be strong believers? Don't you say, I want to be strong in my faith? When you say, I want to be strong in my faith, what you're really praying is, Lord, bring persecution. Give me some thorns. Otherwise, we'll probably be strong in ourselves. But remember what God said to Gideon over and over? He had 32,000 men. He says, nope, if you go fight with 32,000, you're going to get the glory. He gets down to 10,000. He says, that's still too many. You're still going to get credit. It had to get down to a number where there's no way it would be possible except that God was working through him. That's what he wants for you. He wants people to look at your life and say, that life is humanly impossible. That attitude is humanly impossible except that God, that work in him. So, number five, it reinforces our strength. Let's fly a little bit here. Um, Number six. It renders the platform for God's glory. I'm not going to stay on this one long because I think I've already touched on it. But it renders the platform for God's glory. In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, we see this come out. And, and you don't have to turn there, but I just want to read one little part of that, not even the whole thing. But what, what Peter is reminding us is this is our chance. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you um it says in verse 16 if anyone suffers as a christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify god in that name you see when we're suffering we've already talked about this it gives us a platform a platform to declare his goodness let's go on how about number seven number seven it reproves our enemies oh this is good now not because i want enemies to be reproved Not because I'm out there like, oh man, I just want like wrong to be right. You know, it's not just like, I'm like, man, I'm angry at the wicked. No, not at all. I want the wicked just like I was to realize there's a savior. But there's almost nothing I know of that reproves enemies like the peace of God in our life during difficult times. In Niger, and I'm sure some of these stories will come out during the course of this weekend, we've had some crazy moments. One amazing story, and the the details will probably come out in a different message, but we were being burned alive. We were attacked by about 15 guys, me and three of my teammates, and we were being burned alive, and and God miraculously saved us, and that's a whole story in itself. But, you know, a lot of my friends, my Muslim friends, they they wondered, you know, why, why are you not fleeing the country? Why are you not leaving after this? And that was a far more powerful example of peace to them than uh, then if that hadn't happened and what we realized that was a gift from God to get their attention I remember one time too I was in my neighborhood and there was this dear guy I, I, I love him deeply he's, um, he's a very radical, very radical Muslim man and uh, his name's Habibullah and he claims to be part of Al-Qaeda and we have a lot in Niger that would claim to be part of uh, that particular group then there's also a lot that are part of Boko Haram, which is another very aggressive group on the African continent, um very much affiliated with ISIS. And um I was buying tomato paste one day, and I was in the shop of one of my friends named Ahmed, and, and Habibullah was there. And as I bought my tomato paste, uh Ahmed uh my friend, I was like, Hey, we're gonna have a, a Christmas party and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ um when he came to earth, and so we'd love for you to come if you wanna if you wanna be there. And Habibullah heard me invite Ahmed and he said, hey, am I invited too? And I said, well, of course you're invited, you're my neighbor. And he says, are you sure you want the Al-Qaeda at your party? And, uh, and I said, well, if you're the Al-Qaeda, then of course I want Al-Qaeda at our party. And uh, he said to me, he, immediately, immediately, no in between, he says, well, do you believe in the prophets? And I knew what he was asking, but... Since he asked me that question, I was going to answer that question. I said, of course I believe in the prophets. He says, no. Do you believe in all the prophets? I said, what you're asking me, Habibullah, is do I believe in Muhammad, right? He says, yeah, that's exactly what I'm asking you. I said, Habibullah, why did I come to this shop today? Like, well, you came to buy tomato paste. I said, exactly. Now, I found tomato paste. So am I going to go home and cook, or am I going to go to another shop and look for more? He says, you're probably going to go home and cook. Exactly. You see, Habibullah, in life, I was looking for peace. I was looking for love. I was looking for joy. I was looking for eternal life. And when I came to the person of Jesus Christ, I found all of that and so much more. Muhammad came 600 years after Christ. My search ended with Jesus. Muhammad means nothing to me because my search ended. So he's completely irrelevant to my faith. I have what I'm looking for. I'm going home to cook. Now... With that being said, we're really good friends. It, wasn't, it, it was just a relationship-building thing in the end. And Habibullah told me, and you can pray for him, he told me, he says, I, I won't believe, basically, unless I see nail prints. Because he said, Jesus Christ is going to come again, and he's going to show you he doesn't have nail prints, he didn't die. So I'm praying that God shows him in a dream one time that he does indeed have nail prints, that Habibullah might become our brother in Christ. But with that being said, I, I want you to see that it reproves our enemies when we get to go through these times, why do I say that? Philippians one 27, look what it tells us. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28 and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of your, of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. So again, it reminds them of their situation. It reminds them they don't have that peace. They don't have that hope. They don't have that joy. I love asking my friends, not because I want to cause problems in their life, but I want them to know Jesus. When I'm sitting on the street at night, I I like asking my friends like, hey, we're all going to bed soon. I just want to know, like, when you lay down at night, tell me, like, do you have peace? Do you sleep well? Do you have fear at night? Like, What does that look like? And when they're honest, and they're usually honest with me, they say, no, I'm terrified of dying. I said, I really hate that about, I really hate that for you. Because I said, I go to bed every night with absolute peace. Like, there's fears, no fear of death, none at all. Like, come, and I said, I'm not telling you that because, like, I'm better than you. I, I'm, I'm the same from, from a worldly point of view. But I found a Savior. I found the Savior of the world. He did give me new life. He did give me His Spirit. It is real. I want them to know what we've tasted. And when this hope shows and it shows in difficult times, it reproves our enemies. It's a powerful thing about suffering. Are we getting excited about suffering right now? I hope so. I really hope as a body of Christ, we're getting excited saying, I get the opportunity to live in a broken world and show the beauty of Christ. We're not done. We have a couple more blessings to go through and we still have 12 minutes so we are like, great. Here we go. Number eight. This is wonderful. Now, this next one, uh, sometimes we're like, oh, we don't talk about that in the church. We just serve Jesus Christ. No, Jesus talks about it. So let's talk about it since he wants to talk about it. Number eight, it rewards you. It rewards you. This is something we must not ignore. Okay, come on. Can we get excited about the fact that we have a God that wants to reward us? As a little kid, wasn't it fun to be rewarded by your parents? I don't know how your parents rewarded you, but for me, maybe it was they took me to get an ice cream cone. And that was a fun reward. Or maybe my dad would play a certain sport with me saying, hey, if you finish this work, this job, whatever the case is, or your chores, I'll come outside and I'll play basketball with you for an hour. And that was such a special reward to be rewarded by my earthly parents was something which showed their love. They wanted to reward me. They wanted to, but they also wanted to teach me diligence. See, our, we have a heavenly father that wants to reward us. I think so often we think about like a God who is like, ah, almost, <laughs> almost, man, they were good, but not good enough. Listen, when it comes to salvation, we have a God who wants to save us more than we want to be saved. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to die for us looking for faith place in him that he can save it's not about some magic formula certain words you pray it's about taking the faith you have and saying i place it in jesus christ that's the starting point but after you're saved now we have a relationship with god we call him father and one day when we stand before him at the bema, at the judgment seat of christ we don't have a heavenly father who's looking to strip us of anything he possibly can strip us from like he's some kind of poor god that's got limited assets to reward you have a heavenly father who loves us intensely and he is looking to reward you beautifully i can't wait to stand before him you know why because i know i'm in him my righteousness is not on myself nothing i've ever done That's all Jesus Christ. But now I get to please Christ with my life. So why do I say it rewards us? Let me tell you. From the mouth of Jesus Christ, why this is the case. Now listen, I want to give you a passage of scripture, but I'm just going to quote it to you instead of having us turn there right now. But think about this reward. Now first of all, there's a flip side to this reward. Jesus Christ tells us what a curse is. In other words, he tells us the things that drive us away from him. In Luke chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, he tells us that cursed are you when men say well of you now, cursed are you who are rich now, cursed are you who laugh now, cursed are you uh, who are full now. Now those things are all like, they seem like really good stuff we want, right? Like if I said to you, oh, may God bless you. We oftentimes think, oh, you're asking that God gives me a good job or that God gives me great food on my plate or, or that, that God makes everybody like me. No, 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 those are all curses. When I say may God bless you, I'll tell you what I mean. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Okay, but now let's get to this reward part. He just said a bunch of blessings, but now he's ready to really dive in. And he's, Jesus is going to like go on repeat mode now. he gets to his favorite i think and blessed are those who are who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven oh i'm not done and blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all kinds of evil falsely against you on my account rejoice And be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its flavor, it's good for nothing but be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. See, Jesus Christ reserves the the promise of reward in all of those things. Yeah, there's reward pure in heart. They'll see God. I mean, come on, is that not amazing? The peacemakers, they'll be called sons of God. That's great. But when he gets to persecution, he says, great is your reward in heaven. Why would we want to avoid that? If that's what is on the heart of Jesus for you, saying, I want to reward you greatly, why would you want to avoid the difficulties of this world in order to show the beauty of There's a woman named Elizabeth Prentice. She wrote one of my favorite hymns. I have a few favorite hymns, okay, um, but one of my favorite hymns, and it's called "More Love, O Christ, to Thee." And she wrote in 1850. She wrote in 1855, but in 1851, she um, she lost two children. Well, in the course of a couple of years, she lost two of her kids, and she actually wrote a poem. Um really short one, but I don't want to misquote it here. She wrote a poem and she said, One child and two green graves are mine. This is God's gift to me. A bleeding, fainting, broken heart, this is my gift to thee. Her heart was just aching. And then her husband asked her, um, he asked her specifically this question about uh, love keeping the soul from growing blind. And she started thinking about can love keep the soul from growing blind? And she realized, yes, it can. And she wrote this song More love, O Christ to thee, more love to thee. This is my the prayer I pray on bended knee. But listen to this one verse she wrote to the song. Let sorrow do its work. Come grief or pain. Sweet are thy messengers, sweet their refrain. When they can sing with me, more love, O Christ, to thee. Do you hear what she says? Sweet are the messengers. When they can sing with me, more love, O Christ, to thee. Do we really see sorrow that way? Do we see these difficulties that way? All intended that we might know him. So we just have two more left, and let me just quickly mention them, and then we're going to close by drawing our hearts to... Um, just a, a final thought, number nine I love this is one of my favorites. Number nine it refocuses us on eternity in second Corinthians chapter four verses sixteen to eighteen. Paul says, "Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day for our light afflictions, which are but for a moment." Are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. For we don't look at the things we see, but the things we don't see, because the things you see are temporary, the things you don't see are eternal. See, when we go through these times, what do I realize? I realize, guess what? I'm dying. My outward man is perishing. I realize this body, this tent, as it starts talking about in chapter 5, verse 1. Not going to be around that much longer. Our life is short. It's but a vapor. It's a weaver's shuttle. But does that get me discouraged? No. Why? I don't look at what I see, I look at what I don't see. The things I see are all temporary. What I don't see is eternal. And I have a building from God, a home not made with hands, prepared for me eternal in the heavens. And in this body I groan, not desiring to be unclothed, but further clothed. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. This is what we have waiting for us. It refocuses us on eternity. And the final one is this. It revives our hope. It revives our hope. And in Romans chapter 8, and you can turn there. It will be the last passage you go to. Yes, and I'm right at the stopping time. So Romans chapter 8. And it says, that there, I would encourage you, read verses 18 all the way to 25 at your own convenience. But Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. That, that, that is to be revealed in us. For all, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing Of the sons of God. Look at verse 23. Not only creation but we ourselves. Who have the first fruits of the spirit. Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. This is the last thing. It revives our hope. I want you to think about something. When you think about hope, hope and faith are special gifts from God. And you know what's special about them? When you get to heaven, you're not going to have any more faith and you're not going to have any more hope. Heaven is a hopeless place. It really is. Because who hopes for what he sees? This is one life in which we can glorify God even in our hope. And what brings our hope more alive? This passage tells us we groan inwardly longing. Longing for that redemption of the body. Longing for that world that God intended us to live in from the very beginning. Longing for the perfection of relationship with him. That I might know him. When Paul says that I might know him in Philippians 3.10, you know what I think he's really saying? Lord, I want to be with you. That's what he says in chapter 1. He says, man, I, 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 he says, for me personally, like, it's better to go. For you guys, it's better that I stay. Is that our heart? It's our heart that I want to know him. I want to be with him where he is. Well, guess what? Suffering revives that hope. You want to see a church that's not hopeful? It's a church that's at ease and in a comfort zone. That's a church that's not hopeful. You want to see a church that's thriving in hope? Find the most persecuted areas on our planet, and you'll find a church full of hope. That's the joy, the beauty we see in the fellowship of his sufferings. See, Paul wasn't just saying, "I'm praying that I might know him more." He was actually giving us a guideline as to how that happens. It happens through knowing the person of Christ, and the power of Christ is unleashed in times of suffering and persecution. Persecution is oftentimes the very vehicle he uses to answer the prayer that we were praying. So, I'm going to close in prayer and. Um, and, and I, I, I know my time is done. Um, but I was graciously given a couple minutes bonus by, um, by your elders. And so let me close with a story and then praying. The, the story is another hymn. But growing up, I had a favorite song. My favorite song was by a woman named Fanny Crosby. And chances are most of you know one or two of her songs. She wrote 6,000, so you have a few to choose from, okay? But uh, my favorite by far, and actually I asked that this song be sung at my funeral... And the song is My Savior, First of All. Maybe some of you know it, and if you don't, it's okay. But Fanny Crosby had, had a, a problem, we could say, but it's not really a problem. It was a blessing. She was blinded almost at birth. It was a mistake of a doctor, so it was not genetic whatsoever. Um, the doctor messed up, and she was blinded, so she never really saw. She has no memories of sight. She wrote a poem when she was eight years old. Eight, eight, okay? So if you've got kids and you have an eight-year-old, picture an eight-year-old writing this poem. She wrote, oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. So many pleasures I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. But she wrote this song. And the song, uh, when my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, on the bright and glorious morning I shall sing, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side and his smile I like his smile because it says she's singing it. His smile will be the first to welcome me. But her chorus, I shall know him, I shall know him. And redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hands. But you know what's interesting? She was sitting on a, I don't know if it was a beach or just in a field, but she was sitting with one of her friends, and her friend was describing the sunset to her because she couldn't see it. And as she described all the colors, her friend finally said to Fanny, she said, Hey, what if God plays a mean trick on you? And when you get to heaven, you're still blind. And he says, God's not going to do that. I'm going to see him. Play along with me. What if he does? How will you know who Jesus is? Thought about it. Said, well, I guess when I get to heaven, I'll just start grabbing every hand I can find. And I'll just start feeling. And when I finally come, to hands with nail prints. Then I'll know I found my Savior. And that's why she wrote, I shall know him, I shall know him. And redeemed by his side, I shall stand, I shall know him, I shall know him. By the print of the nails in his hand. But what I wanted to share with you is this. She was finally asked at the end of her life, if you could do it all again. But this time you could see with your earthly eyes, would you? Are you kidding me? No way. No way. You've been blinded by everything you've seen. But me, I've had clear vision all the way. And think about this. The very first thing I will ever see will be the face of Jesus Christ. And I would not change a world of sight for that privilege that I might know him, everything else is loss compared to the surpassing greatness of Christ Jesus, my Lord. May we eagerly share in the fellowship of his suffering. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we might know you, that you have given us the invitation into knowing you. and I pray that as we see these blessings, incredible blessings. That the fellowship of your suffering provides. Thank you that we're not suffering for any salvation from sin. You fully paid. But now we get to share in making you known, And in the process knowing you more intimately. Lord prepare us. Encourage us. And continually remind us. That we might not grow weary. And that we might run faithfully the race pressing on. Looking unto Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen.